let's go ahead and we'll uh, turn over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number two. And we've been going through the book of Ephesians. If you're just joining with us, uh, we started this in January and we kind of wanted to get an accurate description of who we are in Christ, what God's word has to say about who we are, but also um, who the church is, what is the church, uh, what is the purpose of the church. And uh, hopefully this has been helpful to you to understand that we're not defined by what the world says we are, but we are defined by what God says that we are, um, that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings, that we've been redeemed, that uh, um, we've been blessed by God, we've been redeemed by God, we've been sealed by the Spirit. Um, we went through Paul's prayer at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 about uh, seeing that immeasurable greatness of his power, the fullness of Christ that should be at work in the church, in our lives. And then we came to chapter number 2, and it's kind of a contrast. It's kind of a, this is who you are in Christ, but this is who you used to be before Christ. And it kind of shows us a difference between light and dark. It kind of shows us a difference before and after. And as we looked here in these uh, last few verses, these uh, first few verses here, chapter number 2, we've been going and looking at the what the description that Paul gave us and gives us of who we used to be before Christ. And you have to wonder, why, on the, why in the world would, would God want to give us a description of who we used to be? And I seem to think that at times we forget what we used to be before Christ. I mean, even in chapter number 2, Paul goes in verses 11 and 12, he says two times, he says, remember, remember, remember these things, remember them. Um, and I think it's when we remember, it's when we reflect and we remember of who we used to be before Christ. It gives us a passion for Jesus Christ. It gives us a, a love for him, a, 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 an understanding of what he accomplished for us on the cross. And so we're going to come here now to verse number three in uh, chapter number two. And we're going to continue on down here of a more of a description of who we used to be before Christ. And if you don't know the Lord, if you've never had a relationship with him, you never repented of your sins and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is an accurate description of who you are right now. Uh, but for those of us that know Christ, uh, that we've turned to Jesus for salvation, this is a picture of what we used to be like before Christ. So let's look at these verses here. Uh, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 3, but we're really going to focus in on verse number 3. Uh, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you're in a habit of marking things in your Bible, you can see those phrases there of the past. You were dead. You once walked. In verse number three, we all once lived. And he's giving us a description showing us of who we used to be before Christ. And if there's one thing that you see through this, you see this progression in these verses. Look how Paul starts. He says, 
you were dead in trespasses and sins. And you have to wonder, well, how did I become dead in my trespasses and sins? Verse number two, it's because you once walked following the course of this world. And then he says that you were following the prince of the power of the air. And as you were following the prince of the power of the air, we were participating in sinful activities, doing sinful types of things, being animated by the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Then you have to wonder, well, how did I get to that point? Well, then verse number three answers that question for us. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So this is our natural state before Christ, that this is how we used to live. This is what defined us. This is, this is the picture of who God says that we once were. And in verse number three, Paul gets right to the point here. And he says that all of man's problems stem from the heart. Because he says the passions and the desires. And where does our passions and our desires come from? They come from the heart. And so Paul uses these three statements in this verse to completely unmask, to completely unveil, if you would, the hearts of those who without Christ live this way and show us to those who know Christ of how we used to live. So let's examine this verse in a little bit more detail, verse number three. I want to show you three things about this of how we used to live so number one, participation in the flesh. Look what he says, verse number three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So these descriptions are pretty hard for us to think about and to swallow because the truth can be very revealing. Do you ever, for those of you men that are married, um, the truth hurts when your wife tells you something that's true about you. And sometimes in our pride, we go, no, that's not true. But yet, the truth reveals exactly who we are. And Paul here is giving this description and saying, this is what we used to do, that we used to participate in the passions of our flesh. So when we see these things, we somewhat kind of don't like them because we like Chapter number one about being lavished in grace, about uh, being forgiven, about uh, uh, knowing the mystery of God's will. We love all that stuff. But then when we get to chapter number two, Paul says, you used to participate in the passions of your flesh. So let's draw two conclusions from this scripture already about this, about what does it mean to participate in the passions of our flesh? Well, firstly, we all lived, we all used to live, and if you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you live this way. You lived in the lust of your flesh. There was a lust, a driving lust that, that propelled you, that, that you wanted to participate and desire the passions of the sinful flesh. And God's word here says that we all, notice that, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. No one is exempt here. Sometimes we like to look at others and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. 
Or we say, well, you know, at least I didn't do that. But the truth is, all of us used to live in the passions of our flesh, the cravings, the wants, the desires of our flesh. And before Christ, we were no better. We weren't holy. We weren't acceptable before God. We weren't any better than anybody else because we desired and we pursued the passion of our flesh. Listen to what Romans chapter 1 verses uh, 18 through 20 says. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since that may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. He later goes on in Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 32 and he says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, and strife, deceit, and malice. He says that they are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Think about that. Before Christ, we would actually invent ways of doing evil. This, is the, this is, was our heart before Christ. This was the desires and the passions of our, of, our, of our hearts. He says that they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so we see this, this passion that the flesh that we all used to have before Christ, it was controlling us and we were pursuing after it with our heart's desire. But secondly, this passage states that operating by these lusts is something that no longer describes God's people. It is part of our past. Do you remember something that may have happened to you a long time ago? And now it may just be a very faint memory. But when it happened, do you remember how big the event used to be? This year, my wife and I will be married 11 years I know, I know, thanks. <laughs> We're young, I understand that. But at times, I've gone through our wedding album, and there were pictures in there that I forgot that we actually took. And I go, <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that. That's a, that's a past memory. Well, God's word here says that this description of us before we knew Christ this is not something that should be in our life any longer. In other words, if you know Christ as your Savior, you shouldn't be controlled by the passions and the desires of your flesh no longer. You see, we must not only say that Jesus is our righteousness, we must say that Christ living in us produces a righteous life. 
Our righteousness does not save us because our lives as a whole has, has sin, but surely our righteous lives today is proof that Christ lives in us. And so as a believer in Jesus, we may at times struggle with the flesh, we may do battle with the flesh, but our outlook is different now. Because at times we desired the passions of the sinful flesh, but it now when we struggle and we do battle with the sinful flesh and we have victory over that flesh, we are fighting for victory. We're not giving in to those sinful passions and that sinful flesh. And so sin now for the believer, for you and for me, should be unnatural. It shouldn't be something that was just natural in our life. It should be unnatural. And if you're like me, I don't like it when I give in to my sinful flesh. Oh, man. Oh, can't believe I did that. Man. But see, a person without Christ, they desire the passions of that sinful flesh. But if we know Christ is our Savior, we do not want to give into that. So Paul's statement here, look what he says. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This was a former act. We all once lived. We used to live that way. Remember reading the stories? Once upon a time. Paul's saying, you once used to live this way. This is a former act. And so the proof that we have exited the world and the influence of the prince and the power of the world, as he said in verse number two, is that its lust are no longer animating us. I'm going to give you a good illustration of this. Um, let's see. Jeffrey, can I borrow you real quick? And I need somebody who's deceitful. Tom, you will work just fine. Thank you. Thank you. All right, come on over here, Jeffrey. <clears throat> okay. Now, Jeffrey, this is what I want you to do, okay? I want you to put your hands kind of behind your back, okay? Now, Tom, come over here, and I want you to be Jeffrey's arms now. Okay. All right. Now, this kind of gives you a good idea, all right? So here's a person lost without Christ, and they are being animated by an evil spirit, okay? <laughs> so whatever Jeffrey is, is trying to do in his life, there's an evil spirit that is controlling him, and it's pressuring him, and it's moving him, and it's, 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 it's making him desire the things that are evil, and Jeffrey has no control over this because he is bound in sin. He has not been released from that. But see, what Jesus does is Jesus takes away that evil spirit and he gives us the Holy Spirit and he sets Jeffrey free and Jeffrey no longer has to be controlled by that evil spirit that, that, that animates him or, or, or drives him to the passions of his, of his lust and, and his flesh. Jeffrey's been set free from that. And so we can look at Jeffrey and say, Jeffrey, this is the way you used to live, but no longer. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live under the control and the, and the dominance of the sinful flesh. 
because you've been set free. Thank you. You can sit down. So Paul's here saying this is a former act. This is the way you used to do it. And this is a great way of knowing that we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. If we do battle with the flesh, we're not giving in to the flesh. And it's interesting about this because the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 1, it says that God chose us even before the foundations of the world in Christ. And our salvation is a result of God setting his affection upon us. He, he called us. He, he set his affection upon us. And he says, look, I want you to be holy and blameless before me. And God accomplished all of this even before the foundation of the world. Salvation was not an afterthought. It wasn't like man came into the world and God was going, oh no, I didn't see this coming. I, I, I'm going to have to think of something that I'm going to have to do now. No, he already had it all planned out that he would set us free from the passions of our flesh. And so only God can forgive us and only God can rescue us. And he does this not because we're likable, not because he found something good in us, not because there was, there was a twinkle in our eye or, or some miraculous thing about us, because we were sinners. And God did all of this out of his pure grace and his mercy for us. And that's what makes the gospel so scandalous is because we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to live the way that Christ has set us free. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love towards us, he accomplished salvation for us. Look at another thing about this. Number two, the desires of the flesh. Paul goes a little bit deeper here to define for us the passions of our flesh. Look what he says. He says that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh doing what? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So he tells us here how we lived in these lusts. How did we live, Paul? We, by carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You see, what happens from a scriptural point of view is that all the people were ruled by their desires. And these strong desires are rooted in the flesh and the mind. And the evil one's spirit was animating them. He was controlling them. And they were carrying out those desires, those evil desires. And for the Christian, however, we are not longer controlled by the flesh. So be very careful, be very careful to not allow these desires to rule your choices. We do not have to indulge in them. We don't have to give in to them. We don't have to surrender to them because we have been set free by Jesus Christ. But non-Christians only have the flesh and it's pulsated by the breath of the prince and the power of the air. He controls them. But we are no longer controlled by that. We've been set free. And so he says, this is how we all once lived and we were trapped. Have you ever been trapped before? No way out. This is, this is how we used to live. And Paul says we were controlled by this, carrying out the desires of the body. If your body wanted this, you went ahead and did it. If your mind wanted this, you went ahead and indulged in it. You had no 
control of the that. But because we have Christ now, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to live that way anymore. So look at these things that Paul says about this. He says, carrying out the desires, notice this, of the body and of the mind. Our sinful nature, sometimes called the flesh or the body here, they focus on pleasing themselves. More often, they focus on the desires of our bodies and the appetites. And God gave us basic desires in our body. There's nothing wrong with having desires in our body, but our willingness to indulge in them beyond reason so that we live for them is evil. And Paul says, this is the kind of life that we used to live. But then look what he says, the desires of the mind are those ideas that go into our mind. We might think of them as the more complicated things that we do, but they are the plots to get what we want. We think about it, we dwell upon it. And a person that's without Christ, this is how they live. Their mind is, is entrapped and they, they, all they can do is dwell upon this types of thinking, this type of lifestyle. And they move towards that, carrying out those evil desires. But as a believer in Christ, we are not to be controlled by the flesh any longer. We're not to be controlled by the desires of our mind anymore. See, the gospel calls for a new way of living. The gospel says your life is dead. And Christ says, I have resurrection power for your life now. But what happens is we as believers, sometimes we, we trust Christ as our Savior. And then we still try to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. And God says, that's not how it works. He says, we are to live our life now in the power of the resurrected Christ. A new life. You see, Jesus isn't just, oh, I got Jesus so I could go to heaven. Or I got Jesus so I can live a good life now. Or I got Jesus so I can, you fill in the blank. You see, we have Jesus so we have resurrection power to live the life that Christ destined for us to live. So that we might be holy and blameless before him. Flip over to Romans chapter number 6. I want to show you just a few things here. This is a great passage of scripture here, and I challenge you to meditate upon it because it's, it's got some real nuggets there to dwell upon and think upon about the new life that we have in Christ. Look what he says here in uh, chapter 6, verse number 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin and the passions of our flesh and the depravity of our mind? Are we to continue in those things? So that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's asking a question. How is it possible for us if we've died to sin to continue living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection 
like his. New life. New life. Because he says, for we know that our old self, the passions of our flesh, the depravity of our mind, the, the, the desires of the sinful flesh, was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look what he says in verse number 8. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. So how do, we, how do we live this life then? How are we supposed to live in a new life instead of giving into the desires of our flesh and giving into the desires of our mind? How do we do that? Look what he says here in uh, verse number 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Here it is, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You know, sometimes we, we fall into a, uh, uh, a season or a, a, a moment of sin where we carry out a desire of our flesh God doesn't want us to live that way. How do we have victory over that? How do we get gain victory? Coming to church, praying, doing holy things. It's right there in the scripture. It tells us that we are no longer to present ourselves. We, we recognize, we say, I am not supposed to be living like this. There's a reality of saying, this is evil. The things that I am about to do or that I am doing is evil in the sight of God. And I reckon myself that I am dead to my old self. I, I'm not supposed to live that way. And I make myself available to the working of Jesus Christ, to his resurrection power. And so the gospel then is new life for us every single day of our life. That's why the gospel is not just a one-time event. This is for our life every single day to live in the power of the gospel. That we don't give in to the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. So the new life, the resurrected life in Jesus, it's not in our power, but it's his. It's in his power. It's nothing that you do. You cannot, I cannot live the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ. It's an impossibility. You have to be dead to sin and made alive through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Let's look at a third thing here. Flip back over to Ephesians. Look what he says. He says, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There was a wrathful judgment that used to be pronounced upon us. Paul started off by saying that we were spiritually dead. He clearly inter, uh, inferred that we needed spiritual life. And here, he not only talks about our natural state, but our deserved judgment. 
You see, we talk a lot about God's love, do we not? God's love, God's love, God's love, 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 love. Oh, all of God's love. I love God, you love God, we all love God, everyone loves God. Love, 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 love. But what about the other side of God? His wrathful judgment. You see, this is a part of of God that we really don't like to explore because it really tells us who we really are and who really God is. Is God love? Yes, he is, but he's also a God of wrath and judgment. And you cannot separate his love and his wrath apart. It's not the God of the Old Testament, the the God that's over there with a whip and he's, you know, you have lightning bolts and then, you know, you show up in the New Testament and Jesus, oh, we all sing kumbaya, old hold hands and everyone loves everyone. No, the Jesus of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament full of judgment, full of wrath. Look what he says here. He says, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, this is God's anger and indignation on mankind. One thing we must not make any mistake about is that God hates sin. He hates sin. Listen to a few verses here. John 3.36 says... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Proverbs 15, 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so there are only two groups of people in the world. That's it. Saved and lost. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm kind of saved. I'm really kind of not saved. You know, I'm a little over here and I'm a little over here. No, you're either saved, you know Christ, or you're lost and you don't know Christ. Either you're saved and the wrath of God has been taken by Jesus Christ on the cross, or you're lost and the wrath of God abides on you. That's it. And so here Paul's saying this is how you used to live. You were by nature children of wrath. You know, we cannot fully understand salvation unless we understand his judgment. And we cannot understand God's love unless we understand his wrath. And it is like Paul is standing outside, kind of the, uh, kind of outside and taking an objective look at mankind and saying, this is how mankind is. They were all under the judgment of God's wrath. But those that are in Christ are now no longer under God's wrath. And this is why the gospel is so important, not only for the unsaved, but for us as well. Because an understanding of God's righteous judgment upon sinful man leads us to understand what Christ did in taking the judgment of sin upon himself on the cross. The Bible tells us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. 
and he took the judgment of God upon himself. And people really need to be saved because they are really lost and will soon be judged. Why is it so important for us to give the gospel? Because people are lost in their sin. Why is it so important for us to warn people of the coming judgment of Jesus Christ? Because people are lost in their sin. Why do we go through all these kind of efforts of, hey, invite people to come Easter Sunday. Hey, take some of these uh, uh, gospel invites here. Tell people about Christ. Because people are lost in their sin. They're under the judgment of God's wrath. All those that die without Christ will be turned into hell. That's a reality. It's not some make-believe, made-up type dusty thing we read out of a book. It's a reality. And so we need to understand God's judgment. They say, Mike, what does this all have to do with Christianity? What does this have to do with me? How does this help me as a believer in Christ? Well, see... Paul's giving this picture of who we once were in Christ because I think when we understand who we used to be, how we used to live, how we used to walk, how we, how we used to carry on in our life, it teaches us something about who Jesus is. It gives us the grand picture of what he has done for us because it humbles us. He wants us to better appreciate God's love for us in Christ. It teaches us to reach out even to the most desperate people around us. It reminds us that we are saved by grace alone and not anything good in ourselves. We have nothing to bring. What did the old hymn writer said? He said, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. How true that is. We have nothing, but in Jesus Christ, we have everything. Let's pray together.